Smartcast. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. (laughs) This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure that I have the opportunity of introducing special guest, Santiara, Chief Motivating Officer of Ignite the Dream Coaching and Speaking. Sam is a storyteller, a writer, a workshop facilitator, a problem solver, educator, and entrepreneur. He's a professional who has created a personal journey. And I'm very excited to have him on the show today to share his message to our our listeners. His goal is to engage individuals in their personal and professional development. And Sam was recognized, he's up in Vancouver in Canada, and he was recognized by the Governor General of Canada for his work in the hundreds of individuals he has mentored, and the thousands that he has engaged. Added to this list of accomplishments are the 45 plus nonprofits that Sam has worked with over the years. I've mentioned earlier in this introduction that presently Sam's the founder and chief motivating officer at Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting, and we're going to get into that during our interview. Just for a short intro now, it's a platform that engages Sam's audience to define their path. A key element is transformational practices, where Sam's an expert in youth career coaching and supports teams and organizations in corporate alignment. He co-founded a youth career platform that has gone nationwide. Sam works as a lecturer at Beatty School of Business at Simon Fraser University, where he blends academic and professional experience into a rich environment that captivates his audience. Finally, Sam is an accomplished and sought after speaker who has two TEDx talks under his name and speaks at conferences, seminars, and workshops about 30 to 35 times a year. Added to his speaking is the book he recently wrote called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. It focuses on his journey to India to find his ancestral roots with little else than a faded photograph and determination. This book is about realizing one's cultural identity because many struggle with understanding who they are. Sam's tagline, which I really like to mention at this intro, everyone's life's an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. Well, for sure, Sam's autobiography is worth reading, and it's only halfway through. With great pleasure, I welcome Sam Tiara to the show. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Jason. I look forward to being able to share some insights, conversations, and stories. I want to ask you, looking at your record, I, I feel like you have a very distinguished set of credentials already at this stage of your life. And I just want to know from where you've been and what you've been doing, what's been the most important aspect of your experience so far you'd like to share with our audience that's motivated you to pursue your path? Yeah, I would say that the simplest way for me to describe it is the moment that I started, instead of focusing on what I wanted to do, and instead focused on who I am, it triggered something. And as a result of this, it really clarified the need for me to pursue the important journey that I've been on. There are five things that I would say guide and direct me in life. Servant leadership, 
story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Those five components for all of the things that you've shared that I am as a speaker, storyteller, entrepreneur, educator, and writer, and it just went on, all of those align to those five things that have become the foundation of my life. And then as a result of this, it allows me to then support the work and to support people in their journey so that they can realize the important things that they need to do to understand who they are and then realize what they can do as a result. What was the biggest challenge that you've experienced to date in pursuing your life goals? You don't usually share. Oh man, it was, I think, graduating from university because I think, you know, many people who, you know, go into, you know, after they finish their education are ready to take on the world. And I still remember sitting in our graduation ceremony at Simon Fraser University and, you know, saying, okay, I'm graduating, I'm, I'm finished. And then I walked across the stage, shook the hands of the dignitaries. And it was interesting because it felt like a virtual door just slammed behind me because everything behind that door was familiar to me, my classes, my schedules, my friends, the routine I had. And now you're like, okay, what do I do? So I wound up sitting down and saying, okay, I'm going to start applying for jobs. Now I had a degree in business and political science. Jason, you're sitting there going like, wow, what a great combination. Who's lucky to get me? Well, I started to apply for jobs. And back then, I have to say, that's how old I am. You actually had to type your letters, hand deliver it, or pop it in the mail. There was no internet, no email, no nothing. And I sent out 12 letters. And about two weeks later, a letter arrived from one of the companies. And it said, you know, I opened it up and it said, sorry, we don't have a job for you. Good luck in your search. And I thought, oh, that's all right. I've got uh, 11 more letters out there. I'm sure that uh, somebody's going to be lucky. And uh, I will do two more, three more letters. And then slowly letters kept coming back. The more I sent out, it's like the tide. It would go out, come in, tide. It it just was going back and forth. But it made me realize that as a result of it, I still hold on to the 86 rejections (laughs) from when I graduated university. The companies who said, we don't know who you are. We're not sure what you're looking for. Good luck in your search. And it was, and I won't, and I'm not going to mislead people. I will admit every single letter was a nail in my coffin of self-confidence because instead of who's lucky to get me, it shifted to, am I lucky to get a job? Now, business and political science, Jason, I got my first job. It was an entry-level government job. And that job was mopping floors and emptying rubbish bins in a hospital as a janitor. Now, Here you have a degree on your wall and people around you saying, are you kidding me? This is what you're doing. But I will tell you, there are three valuable life lessons that actually still carries me to who I am today. The first lesson, my father said, I don't care what the job is. You have to do the best job possible. And I will tell you, there was no floor cleaner than at the end of my shift. And there was no rubbish bin left full because it really was about creating that quality work, no matter what you do. And I still carry that today. The second valuable, important lesson was there were times I would get on an elevator with nurses, doctors, administrators, not all the time, but you know, there were times where I was just totally ignored because you're a janitor, we're up here and we have nothing in common. The lesson here is I know what it feels like to be ignored. I talk to everyone. I don't care what your background is. I don't care who you are. You have a story. I am willing to listen to it. And the third valuable lesson out of this is I could have easily seen this as a negative situation and it could have spiraled. But instead, I I stopped myself when I started working there to say, okay, there are lessons to be learned here. What are they? And I went in with a curious mind. And as a result of it, I realized that no matter what I do in my life, instead of just looking at the obvious of what the position is or what the work is, I now dig down deeper to say, but what can I learn from this that's going to help me? So those are three valuable lessons, but the the important thing I also share about these letters that I have is now those letters, if one of those letters would have materialized, I would not be here talking to you because my life would have gone in a different trajectory. I actually embrace those letters. 
And the second valuable lesson is many of those companies no longer exist. I still do. I outlasted them. And I think the sentiment that I really want to share from this is the fact that obstacles are the necessary bricks on our road to success. Do not fear the obstacles. Instead, go in with a curious mind to say, yes, this is not what I'm meant to be doing, or this isn't where I should be. But at the same time, what can I learn from this? So that's what I would like to share. Your 86 rejection letters reminds me of my multitude of letters I had starting as a lawyer about 20 years ago because I had my LM from Georgetown. So I was overqualified, overeducated, but didn't have the life experience that every law firm in Tampa was requesting as an entry-level person, right? right? So I, like you, put my feelers out there. And by the way, I also remember applying for jobs by mailing them out and not having LinkedIn or any of these other digital amazing services that people enjoy today. And I remember receiving so many, uh, I was like, why waste the postage? Yeah. <laughs> Sending me a letter that says, dear yep. applicant, it wouldn't even say my name, dear applicant, we received your your, your CV or resume. However, at this time, we are not going to give you an interview. Or what was even worse than that for me was I got three rounds of interviews because people were just yeah. curious to see why did I go to Georgetown and why do I have whatever in my credentials? And I would go through the interviews and I'd meet with like the senior law partner at the end, like three, three, three times in, you know, and the guy would shake my hand and, or, or the woman, whoever it is. And they'd shake my hand and say, I don't know why you got this far, but we're not going to be able to take the time to train you. And you know what that's like when you go through those kind of upheavals? I can relate to everything you're saying right now. It wasn't until I got my first legal job at the firm I had at the time where they actually mentored me and trained me. By, which was mostly trial by fire. When you're a lawyer, training means you're going to get thrown in the deep end and let's see how well you do it. So everything you just said, including your three points and, and everything we're talking about, it reflects with me. And I, I can tell you that anyone in our audience who's struggling right now, I think that what you're saying is exactly the advice they need to hear yeah. because and, don't give and up. The, no. And, and the, the aspect is look beyond the obvious but how is this going to carry you forward? And that's where the clarity of who you are versus what you're going to do is so instrumental in this. Let's talk about care for a minute. It's collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. What made you come up with those four, or those five concepts? And, and how did you, how did you experience, you know, the ideas to put this together in, in this way? Yeah, anybody who knows me knows I'm all about acronyms. And uh, one of the things I do is it allows me to break things down. And when COVID hit, and I remember having to now just on a dime suddenly switch and start teaching my classes virtually, it wasn't a challenge. But equally, I know people were struggling, not just with work, but life and family and other areas. And I thought to myself, because if I am going to speak at a conference, uh, how can I support and help people? Because really, that's what my life is, is around, is service and helping and supporting. And I said, okay, we were in COVID. How can I share this? And it made me realize that we need to care. And what care suddenly became, because I started breaking it down, was you know, collaboration, we need to look at the people around us. And instead of being an independent, let's collaborate, let's work together. And this is where, you know, with having mentored so many people, they're reaching out to me or I'm reaching out to them and we're collaborating. So collaboration is really important. You're not in this by yourself. The A of care stands for adaptability. In other words, everything has been shaken to the core. The system has changed. Everything about your business model has changed. Are you able to be adaptable and shift and pivot? And I know that, for example, for me, it wasn't a big challenge to suddenly go to a virtual online education system because I, whenever I've traveled, I've had to do an online education class for that week. And as a result, I was able to do it. But adaptability is really significant because it allows you to then explore. And you never know what's going to emerge that may actually improve your business model. R stands for resilience. In other words, realize that this is a marathon. It's not over next week. It's not over two weeks. We have to build this resilience within us to say, we're in this for a long haul. How are we going to run this marathon and come out of COVID with this whole mentality of survival and thriving? 
And the E stands for empathy. And I can't stress enough how much in society we need to be empathetic towards each other and demonstrate empathy because we don't know what people are going through. So just showing care and compassion to people, just even on my cul-de-sac here in Vancouver, as people walk by, even during the, the, the most extreme levels of COVID, just by saying hello to people, they stop, they start talking to you. And we've had people just drop by now on a regular basis, just uh, because I do woodworking on the side. And then they just come up and they're like, oh, what projects are you working on? And yeah, we're socially distanced, but we need to show empathy and care to each other. 100%, I agree with everything you just said. I think empathy is probably the, it's the core of one of the emotions and the feelings and the values that I think helps make us human is our empathy, our capacity to learn from one another, collaborate, working together, but also feeling for others. Yes. In the spiritual side of things, you know, empathy has similar meaning, which is the capacity to understand the capacity to feel and understand what others are feeling. And I think they coincide so well. And I believe COVID for me, I was just thinking this morning when I got up, you know, things are fairly returning to normal here in Florida and the United States, at least at this point in time. And I kind of have a level of guilt in my mind to think that you know, going through COVID was was brutal on everybody. No matter where you were on the planet, you suffered in some way. I, I am not going to ever discount that. But I also have a level of guilt, like a survivor's remorse that I didn't get COVID, but I was locked down for a year. You know, I survived cancer three years ago, but I was very cautious. And I got to see my brother last week for the first time in two years because he came down to Florida for my niece's tournament for field hockey. And seeing him in person really instilled on me that we're probably getting out of this pandemic at this point. But it's like there's a big blur in my past for the last year and a half of my life. And I was going to ask you about that. Do you think collectively as a society and as a planet that COVID is going to really affect us in spiritual ways that we don't even realize yet? What's your opinion on that? I hope, well, it's more of a, I hope it does, because I think that it, it, sh- it has shaken us right at the core and some people in in tremendous ways in others marginal ways to some extent and i mean my family both my parents had covid and fortunately and they're elderly but uh, they managed to survive and uh, you know it's almost like my mom spiraled and we thought this was it from all the stories that we had been hearing but she actually when covid released its grip she bounced right back up again and you know it's almost like we need to get her a shirt that says I kick COVID's butt, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but from that standpoint, it, I have part of it is I have a fear and part of it is I hope that there's this rejigging of society. I think people forget very quickly. So five, 10 years from now, oh yeah, there is this COVID thing. And then we go back to the way we were. That's one of the fears I have. Uh, the more we remind and remember and share, I I think is going to be really important. But equally at the same time, I think people got a new sense of what it meant. And and for some, it was maybe isolation turned into self-reflection and they have gone in a different trajectory and it's, it's been beneficial. Others I know have suffered from mental health issues of isolation and, you know, it could be irreparable damage. Uh, I just, it's its hope and fear. I hope that we learn from this and that we move up stronger and more, like I said, using this care component. But my fear is also we easily forget things and we just resume our normal standard life. And as a result of that, uh, I, I'm hopeful, but at the same time, I, th- I, I do see challenges as well, but we just have to keep reminding people the importance of what the, of the work you're doing, the work I'm doing with regards to, to really trying to promote and share and this understanding. You know, my podcast uh, about a year ago, I, I took a break from it. I just couldn't produce or interview people. I was depressed. I went through a stage with the pandemic, like I'm sure a lot of us did, where it was hard to function, like being locked away and then worried about you know, what the unknown, the fear of the unknown, that's like a thing that plagues us most in our mind, usually our what if thoughts, right? And for now, like, this has been a therapy for me being able to meet people like you who are amazing. And like, you know, visionaries and change makers, I consider you one of those. And it's been therapeutic, connecting and having the ability to parcel back what's been lost for a year. That's how I feel. That's like a journey back. Uh, I'm also on a perpetual optimist. 
I'm going to pray every single day that our, our planet goes forward and doesn't go back to its old ways. And that's, that's one of my big takes. I just hope that going forward, we've learned enough from these lessons. Like for me personally, being locked away and having to be by myself, I have two parrots. They, they kept me company when, you know, when I needed that, but I journeyed inward. I meditated a lot. I forgave people in my life that I never thought I would. And I let go of a lot of negativity and I've been more inspired now to pursue life goals and dreams than I've ever been before. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think your personal message and about empathy and everything else that you're talking about, I think coincides so well with what we need. It's almost like it's the medicine that we need for the soul, yeah. our own spirituality right now. No, totally. And I think what I really appreciate, Jason, about, you know, like I said, the work you're doing with your podcast and, and the work you're doing, and I guess the work I'm doing and the people who in our circle are like this is the commitment we've made to not be a bystander in life, <laughs> you know, and I think that, you know, regardless of what you do and how you do it, we all have to step forward and not be a bystander in life and move forward. Absolutely. Let me get into the core of your message, the power of mentoring. That's one of my favorite things in my life. I've had amazing mentors in my life and people I mentor, I just find it adds a value that nothing else can. There's no monetary value to mentoring somebody. There's a, I feel like it has a spiritual element to it. And I do think it can, it can pick yourself up if you're feeling down when you can mentor other people because you feel your, your own life purpose and your value in many ways. So I want to ask you, what motivated you to pursue this path? where you have been so strong in mentoring others in your life? It's because of the journey that I was on and the fact that nobody was there to support and show me the way. I fumbled through the darkness trying to find that light switch and it just never happened until I started taking care of it myself. And I then as a result of this shift, realized there's this huge opportunity to help other people find their way. And it's interesting because back in the day when I graduated, which was years ago, you would sort of suspect that things would have greatly improved, but I'm still mentoring three to eight people a week. And that's just the tip of that iceberg of how lost they are. And I've always said in this regard that my job or responsibility is to help activate the voice within to be louder than the noise around, because there's a lot of noise telling people what to do and how to do it. And it's that what, but what I try to do is silence that to help them in their journey. And it's their journey, not my journey. But I agree with what you're saying, like mentoring and coaching three to eight people a week for me, it is so rewarding uh, that I've, I've built tremendous relationships over the last 25 years, and I'm still connected to these people. And it brings back Sir Isaac Newton's quote, I've only been able to see far because I stood on the shoulder of giants. Well, I am surrounded by greatness. I am surrounded by by giants. And the idea is that I'm connected to these people because of the relationship we established. And to this day, we're still connected 25 years later. And it's amazing to see where people are going in life and career. Yeah, I use the word life and career, not just career. Well, because they're intertwined and there's so much of those that we have to, we, we all identify with our career and what we do. Think about it. If you go to a party, no matter where you are on the planet, you go to a social function and you're in your thirties or forties and what do you do? You know, that's always usually the, 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 the main question to ask somebody, what do you do? Yeah. And I always have a very creative answer for that one. <laughs> you know, depending on where I'm at, I'll either say I'm a lawyer or I'll say I'm a psychic, or I'll say I have a podcast. But I don't usually say all three at once, because depending on the crowd I'm in, they would probably scratch their head and look at me weird. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm a psychic podcaster who has to fix my own problems with legal aspects. Could be yeah, something keep, as simple as that. I keep them all separate. I really Absolutely. do. Because ethically, as a lawyer, I'm sure in your career too, yeah. you have to keep things separate. And so I totally. do. What's the most important thing that you'd like to share with our audience about the power of mentoring others and empowering others? Yeah, it's the fact that uh, I actually, I always look at it as mentorship and coaching. And if somebody is totally lost, it's where I step in as a coach, because coaching is about asking those questions of self-discovery, what's important to you, and, uh, you know, really trying to nail down who they are. And once we have an idea of the dire- of who they are, and maybe the direction they need to go, then I slide into the mentorship role, and either say, okay, have you thought of this? Or maybe I'll connect you to this person who's in, who's in this industry. I was talking to somebody yesterday, for example, 
whose life had taken a tumble and she suffered uh, uh, mental health issues and depression. And that, but it allowed her to then refocus and repurpose to say, I need to work in the mental health space. And then I know somebody who works in uh, multiple, but I know one person in particular that would be a really great contact. So I'm just gonna be connecting the two of them together because then they can shoulder and, and help each other. It's the term connector and maven, which Malcolm Gladwell shared in his book, uh, is the way that I reflect on it, is the fact that you know it, it's about really guiding and supporting. And I mean, even teaching my class, I teach organizational behavior at university. And I even tell my students in that class, number one, once the semester's over, it's up to you if you want to stay connected to me, but I'm happy to remain connected. It doesn't mean that once the class is over, that's it. But equally at the same time, I really blend in a lot of this mentorship and coaching piece into my theories or into my lectures. And they they always say they get more out of this than just the practical applications of organizational behavior. They're getting things that are actually going to carry them forward in life and career. Yeah, but let's talk about your book, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. And I want to ask you, what motivated you to write your book? Again, I think it was this purpose of reconnecting. Like, as I have become very self-reflective over many years, part of it is the fact that, you know, you, as somebody, you know, I, I get asked, where do you come from? Well, I was born in England, raised in Canada. And they're like, no, no, no. What part of India are you from? And I said, well, you know, I was born in England, raised in Canada. And they're like, no, no. Okay, your parents, what part of India? I'm like, well, my parents come from Fiji Islands, which is near Australia, New Zealand. And they're like, are you Indian? And I'm like, well, my grandfathers came from India. But we were really separated from our ancestral roots in India. And nobody in my family really put much effort, emphasis on trying to reconnect with our ancestral roots or my grandfather's village or house. And I just knew for myself, this is something I wanted to do for two reasons. Number one, it was very faint or just like a thin thread is all we had that connected us back to this village. If I don't do this and it skips a generation, that thread is broken and forever gone. That's what we'll be. And the other part is I write in my book how when I was nine years old, my father had an industrial accident and became a paraplegic. I mean, at nine years old, you don't even how to how do you even say the word paraplegic? No, except knowing what it means. All I knew is it meant he wasn't going to walk again, but he's done a lot for us. And I wanted to do this for him. So I decided I wanted to go to India, number one, for the first time to really appreciate and understand the country, which is part of it. My life was always segmented. I'm British, Canadian, Fijian, Indian, but they were always separate and distinct. By going to India, I realized that instead of being distinct, I'm a blend and there's this rice dish in our culture called kichiri, which is a, a rice dish with, with spices and uh, vegetables and all of that mixed together. I guess it's the equivalent of like an omelet. And it helped me to realize that I can be all of these at the same time. But all I had to go by was this faded photograph and very little information. That's it. See that again? Wow. That's all you, I had. Are you in that picture? No, this was years ago, 25, 30 years ago. And wow. this is just a picture that was given to me. And that's all we had to go by. Very, We knew the name of the village, approximately the district that it's in. It's like if you were to talk about Florida, it, you know, it would be, well, it's in Miami somewhere, but that's it. That's all you know. And it's like, okay, Good luck. where? Yeah. <laughs> so it was a needle in a haystack, but where's the haystack? So anyways, it was also this journey to find my ancestral roots. And I just remember going on that journey with the idea that there were three things I wanted to do. See the Taj Mahal, is it as magnificent as people say it is? And I will tell you, pictures don't do it justice. Mm -hmm. The second place I wanted to go to was the Golden Temple in Amritsar in Punjab, which is the holy place for Sikhs. Like this is the foundation of Sikhism. And my background is Sikh. And, you know, I had a spiritual moment there. The third part was to go search for the village. And it, you know, there was, again, limited information, obstacles along the way, people who said, you won't find it. Why are you even looking? But in the end, and I, here's a 
spoiler alert, you know, was I able to find my ancestral root? The, the reason I share this is because it's the journey to find it that's the most important part, not the fact of did I find it or did I not find it. But oftentimes what I tell people is in this box is one of the world's greatest treasures for me. And the idea is, you know, if I showed you the contents, you'd be like, there's no value to it. But it was purchased with persistence, overcoming obstacles and not listening to the noise. Because what sits inside of this is the fact that I found my grandfather's house by some coincidence or cosmic, and I don't know, but it was just the fact that I found it. And I went out into the fields and I scooped up dirt from my grandfather's uh, front yard. And I brought it home to my parents just so that they have this with them. But that's what wow. this journey was about is, you know, lost and found, seeking the past and finding myself is the idea that what was lost, I went in search of. And I found my ancestral roots, but I also found my own identity as well. And that's why the title just sort of came to me one day while I was driving. I had to pull over just because it was like it really captured the essence. And if I may share this with you, and I think this really captured the essence, and I'll just give this brief quote here. Travel isn't always pretty. It isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. It even breaks your heart, but that's okay. The journey changes you. It should change you. It leaves marks on your memory, on your consciousness, on your heart, and on your body. You take something with you. Hopefully, you leave something good behind. And that was by probably one of the people that I, I really respected most was Anthony Bourdain as a traveler. Yeah. And just it, He just captured the essence of that quote of this book. And it also made me realize that there are tourists and there are travelers and there's nothing wrong with being a tourist, but a tourist wants to just see, but not experience. I'm a traveler wherever I go. I need to, I need to experience the culture, the food. Uh, you know, I want to see the magnificence and grandeur of these structures in India, but I also have to see the poverty. When I went to China for the first time, I slept overnight on the Great Wall of China because, again, it was just one of those really powerful things that uh, I needed to do. Egypt, same thing. It was like I really needed to get that cultural. I went into the pyramids, the Great Pyramids, and right inside of it, into the belly of it. Uh, I really need to experience, and I, that's what drives my life. Since you're on my show, I have to ask you, what was the spiritual experience that you mentioned earlier at the temple? In Punjab. Yeah. yeah, it was really interesting because, you know, I'm not a very religious person, but when I was sitting in the Golden Temple, I was enveloped and I write about it in my book. It felt like a blanket was wrapped around me. And Jason, I started to weep and I don't know why, but it was like I started to pray and I don't pray, but I started to pray for the world and healing and, uh, you know, just uh, I wanted hatred to be gone. I wanted uh, that people could, you know, strive and accomplish what they set out to do. What can I do here? And it was just this real spiritual moment. But there are other places I've been where it wasn't even a temple, but it was just in a forest or, you know, at the top of the Great Wall of China, just in the pure silence, looking up to the skies where it's clear and there were no lights and seeing the, the you know, galaxy that's beyond me. You know, there are so many times where I've just had these moments but that one that happened in the golden temple that one did shake me to the core and i write about it in my book i've had a lot of spiritual experiences so that's why i wanted to ask about yours and, and i know when they happen and most members of our audience i think all of us have spiritual experiences every day most of us discount it most of us are you know a spiritual experience could be something as simple as you're grieving your grandfather that passed away you're in the car driving, you're missing him, you're thinking about him, and all of a sudden you hear a song on the radio that makes you think, wow, that's the song I used to remember my grandfather from. Why is that coming on the radio right now? Yeah. I chalk that up to a spiritual experience. So I tabulate and recognize dozens, if not hundreds of spiritual experiences in a week, not only for myself, but other people in my life. And I'm like, a cat cat you know, I catalog it and all that. Yeah, and I guess- Coming from your perspective, it sounds like you've had a lot of spirituality in your life as well as you mm -hmm. search for a greater meaning and purpose for your ancestral roots. Yeah. And I guess what I want to follow up and ask about with your trip to India, what was the most 
um, unexpected thing that you experience on your trip that you don't really share very often during these interviews or just with your audience? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just this whole aspect of, you know, how I went in, I went to India to search about that piece that was missing about being Indian. And the idea was it made me realize, no, I was always Indian instead of trying to fit in to with this term, what is Indian? Uh, I think, again, what we often do is we have these mental models of, you know, well, it could even be different parts of India, but just this mental model of what it means to be Indian. And the realization for me, the unexpected piece and this euphoric piece, the, it was actually the morning that I was going to the Golden Temple. I lit, And I write about it. I literally just sprung up and woke up saying, oh, my gosh, I'm Kichdi, which is this blend of flavors. And I'm always, I've always been Indian. Why did I, I mean, did I have to come to India to be Indian? And the answer was not really. I mean, I was always Indian, but it just unlocked this whole aspect that of something that I never really understood or appreciated as much as I, I had in, in my past before. I was always trying to be Canadian, play road hockey, eat TV dinners, uh, just, you know, whenever I go to the temple, when is this over? Um, you know, just really pushed it all back. But this just as a flood just came up and said, well, no, you, you're always Indian, you know, we're all, we're all a mixture. We're all melting pot, right? Uh, no matter where you're from, as you were talking about your story, I was thinking about my own background. Part of me is from Sicily, never been there twice removed or maybe three generations removed. And I've always wondered if I'd ever go there on a trip in this little village in Sicily to find my ancestral roots. So hearing your story is empowering to me to make me think, you know what? Maybe it'll be worth it. Maybe I'll have some soul searching I don't even realize. And I can, you know, find a special little gift of my own to cherish and appreciate. And that to me, your little box that you held up, mm -hmm. that's powerful. Yeah. It and, represents and Jason, a lot. And Jason, to keep in mind, like, I mean, I was successful to find my grandfather's house. But just the fact that I was in the vicinity, even if I wouldn't have found it. So if you go to Sicily, just the vicinity and this sense and feeling of, yeah, this is like home as well, uh, is a huge success. It doesn't mean everybody has to just go and find the exact location, but just being in that company in the presence of the people that were there before you, I think is, is rewarding as well. We're all connected. Mm -hmm. Spiritually, I get that all the time as a psychic medium. When I read for people, I tell them when I meditate, I always say this. We're all connected. We're all one, no matter who you are and where you are or what you are. And mm -hmm. if you cross over, you're still connected to us here. And your, your your desire to know your ancestral roots, I'm almost certain had a lot to do with your spiritual connection to the other mm -hmm. side mm -hmm. and just your understanding and, and, and your and your appreciation of your place in this planet at this time. Yeah. That's my that's my take for what you know I'm hearing you you describe. I want to ask you this. Your TED Talks. Mm -hmm. I know that you did several of them. And I just wanted to have you share a little about the theme of your TED Talks with our audience, because one of them has to do with discovering the extraordinary and the ordinary. Mm -hmm. I love that title. And I wanted just to see if you can kind of briefly describe that for our audience to understand. Sure. So I've been fortunate to do two TEDx's and I got to do two separate introductions to the TED, uh, TEDx conferences as well. Congratulations. I remember, yeah. And I remember the first one I did was, you know, coming up with a theme of storytelling. And people said, well, you tell stories, maybe share that. So I thought, okay, but then I had to break it down. And as I mentioned, I'm all about uh, acronyms. And I was like, okay, how do I build these stories? And how can I transfer this knowledge to other people? And I came up with this concept called carpe, as in carpe diem. So seize the day is carpe. But the idea is, that's how I break down my stories. Carpe stands for curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, and experience. So as I go through life, curiosity is what stops me. So in other words, instead of just looking at things that are just the everyday and ordinary, I stop and I start looking at things differently. And that's the curiosity piece. A is appreciating it. So once you've stopped, you start appreciating this item, situation, person for more than what it is. The R stands for reflection, because once you appreciate it, that's the surface level. Reflection is where you start digging deeper and you come to that deeper sense of purpose and meaning behind this and you add significance to it. And P stands for perspectives. We all have our own perspectives and 
through this process, we all find different ways that we can appreciate and reflect on things. But E is really important, which is experience. If you don't capture the story, the experience, your story dies an untimely death. And it was never, it was never meant to ever be told to anyone, will never be remembered. And this is where the ordinary just disappears and evaporates because we don't really pay much attention to it. But instead, I've cataloged a lot of these stories. So when I'm sitting and mentoring or having a conversation or teaching my classes, I have this virtual filing cabinet of stories, and then I'm pulling these stories. Uh, later on today, for example, I'll be speaking at a, uh, a gathering in Singapore, uh, and I'm in Vancouver, but I'll be speaking in Singapore, and I've got a, a lot of these stories, and I spoke last year, and they're like, no, no, bring them back. We need these stories. But I'll give you an example of ordinary and extraordinary. So I've done this where I start giving people puzzle pieces. So here's a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And I ask people, what can you do with one piece? And people are like, actually, well, not much. And I said, but see, this is ordinary, but this is what you feel like. Because you don't know where you fit in, but you also don't know the bigger picture. But this is what you feel like. My students feel like this, the people around me. But I said, let me shift it and make it extraordinary. Because the, instead of focusing on the single piece, I have a satchel and I've got many puzzle pieces and many puzzles. If I give you a piece of my puzzle, do you realize my puzzle is permanently incomplete without you? Do you realize how much I need you and how much you matter? By switching it this way, I actually watch the transformation on people's faces. And I've given about 5,000 pieces to date to remind people how important they are. The young woman I spoke to yesterday who I hadn't talked to in about three, four years, said that in the most difficult times of her life of depression, she used to see the puzzle piece and she was like, it reminded me, I can't give up. And she said she's contemplated suicide, but she said, I can't give up because I hold on to this. I have it taped on, uh, I have people say it's taped to the mirrors. It reminds them every morning, someone told them that they were important. It's in curio boxes. It's traveled around the world in backpacks. It's in wallets. And when they see me at events, they bring it out and they say, I still have you with me. Or finally, people just come running at events and say, Sam, I'm, I can't find it. I need it. I feel disconnected. I need a piece of that puzzle. But this is how something as simple as ordinary one piece, I've just made extraordinary in, in the most simplest way as a way because you shifted that focus. And that's where the carpe comes in. Curiosity stopped me one day and I saw this puzzle piece, but it stopped me. I appreciate it for more than what it is. And I reflected and added purpose and meaning to it. And my perspectives was about connectedness. And that's then I cataloged it and sorry, that became that story. No, that that's became the story. Such, such a powerful, to you, it's a story. To me, it's a powerful example of what a paradigm shift's all about. Mm -hmm. You showed somebody a puzzle piece and they look and say, oh, that's a lost puzzle piece, someone's puzzle. And you say, no, 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 no. Greater meaning, greater purpose. If you take this piece, mm -hmm. I am incomplete and you will complete me. That's how important you are in my life and to others' lives. So you attributed that meaning to that piece to give it that extraordinary value. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And people learn best with examples. Totally. And tangible things that they can look at and ascribe value to. So I can see where your, your model really helps to explain our unique footprint on this planet and who we are and jason i'll have to send you one by mail i would love that I'll, I'll i'll pin it to my mirror and guess what you know what my birds were my puzzle pieces during the pandemic every single day i got up i was like man i can't go many places i'll go for a walk that's at least what we could do here in florida is go for a walk yeah. and every day i got back and i was like these two birds are depending on me and, and i don't have kids or anything like that so i'm like you know what you got to have purpose you got to have meaning and you got to have appreciation like you're talking about. I love this conversation today because I think the Thank importance you. and the timeliness of it is so pivotal for us. Mm. What do you think when you look at your life right now and the things that you've achieved to date, where do you see yourself going five years from now? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because the idea is that I have intentions, but not goals. And, and the idea is that I'm guided by those five concepts of servant leadership, story sharing, activator, igniter, champion, enabler, and community do-gooder. And what that means to me is that even five years from now, 10 years from now, 
my purpose will not change. And the purpose is to support people in their journey, to not be a bystander in life. It, it just continues to speak, to write, to educate. Uh, I think that I have found fulfillment and I found purpose. And it's just very significant and very loud for me that this is the true path that I have to be on. And again, all of those obstacles I've encountered have helped me to get where I am today to a point where then I can just work and focus and help other people. I love the way you have the example of those rejection letters. And I want to go back to that for a minute. And I want to ask you, what advice would you give to anyone in our audience who's terrified of rejection in their life at this stage or where they're at? Yeah. It, the simplest way I could say it is obstacles are the necessary bricks on a road to success. Embrace it because you need to have those obstacles. It will reinforce, make you stronger, makes you rethink, how can I do this differently? Instead of dwelling on the problem, let's focus on a solution. And again, realize you're not in this by yourself. Who else can support? Who else can help you on this journey? And it's not going to be easy, but at a certain point, and the other part I think is really important is to start focusing on who you are versus what you want to do. And clarity starts to happen because if I've come up with those five things, anything that comes in my life, I now balance it against those five things to say, if it doesn't hit five out of five, I can't do this. I won't do this. But people do it the other way around where they put the, the cart before the horse and they're going around on this journey. Why don't I like this job? And, you know, I'm being rejected and all, but the clarity is not there because you need to first find this foundation of who are you so that then you can proceed to find out what is it that you need to do. Uh, the other thing I will say is, and this was a realization for me is whether it's rejections on, you know, for that job or the 50, you know, rejections I got for the book I wrote, Every single rejection is one step closer to a yes. That It's there, but you just got to keep on going. And as long as you're persistent, if I wasn't persistent, I would not have found my village. If I wasn't persistent, I wouldn't be where I am today. If I wasn't persistent, I wouldn't have written this book. It's just this whole piece. But then there's a community of people out there waiting to support you and don't don't worry about asking people if they're there to help. They'll they'll do what they can. The person I spoke to yesterday who wants to launch her business was feeling really bad because she said, you know, I feel like I'm using you. I said, you know what? Squeeze me like a tube of toothpaste. In other words, you know, when you get to the end of that toothpaste and, you know, you got that little you were about to chuck it in the bin, but you chopped, thought, no, you know what? Maybe. And then in the morning, I don't know, there's a vortex of toothpaste out there. You squeeze it and there's just enough for one more and it keeps on. This is what I call my mentorship. And this is what I do with people is think of me as a, as a, as a tube of toothpaste right at the very end, squeeze me. I'm still going to give you more. Wow. <laughs> I, I will always think of that every morning. Now that plus the puzzle piece, <laughs> what do you recommend for anyone in the audience who's looking at what we're talking about and they're inspired by your, your journey to India and just your personal journey and your life message, and they want to be a leader themselves. Mm -hmm. What kind of uh, advice would you give to any aspiring leaders? Sure, is to not try to be a leader. And the reason I say that is leadership is not a place or a position. Leadership is a lifestyle. And actually, you don't determine if you're a leader. The people around you determine if you're worthy of that title. So, you know, put that ego aside and say, okay, am I doing the right things? Um, for me, for example, some people don't see me as a leader. Some people see me as a leader. But to me, I went on a journey just to say, this is what I have to do. I've rolled up my sleeves. I've said, this is what I've, I'm going to do. And followership is, is something so underrated because people think followership is blindly following like sheep, but it's not. Followership. Uh, again, based on the models by Shalaf and by, Kel uh, by Kelly is no followers are actually integral in the success of the process. You have to win those followers over, but don't do it because you want to be a leader. Do it because these people have something to contribute. But leadership is a, is a lifestyle. It's not a place or a position. So I always stress to people, be authentic, be yourself and support the people around you. You'd be amazed at how they provide the term leadership to you. 
it's, it's an automatic, uh, like you said, lifestyle and identity or, or a role that you can play in other people's lives. When you're a mentor, you're a leader. Even if you don't choose yeah. to be a leader, you're doing leadership traits and qualities by guiding others. True. Helping them from being lost themselves, right? We're collectively trying to help one another. Let's talk about Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting. Tell us a little about that so our audience can find out more about it and how they might be able to get in touch with you and find out more about you. Sure. Either through LinkedIn or, you know, Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting, you know, through my website. Uh, the idea behind it is it after I transitioned out of a couple of roles, it was more about supporting and helping. And I thought, okay, so I capture Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting is the space I use for my coaching for my writing and my speaking. So all of that sort of is bundled in that Ignite the Dream coaching and consulting. And you can find it on LinkedIn uh, under my name or you know, however else, but that's where you know, people might be able to find uh, the ways that you can connect. And my website, I've got about 170 blog posts all available for free that people can go in and find a lot of the things we've talked about today are, are there. And you know, it's there for people to just go through, read casually what they want. My uh, two TEDx speeches are online as well. If they if they just go to YouTube and type my name in, you'll see two of my uh, TEDx speeches there. Again, all of the stuff is there for people. Do you ever consider yourself to be a light worker? A what, sorry? A light, a light worker. As Spirit, in? I'll, I'll give you an example, my apologies. A light worker in, a, in, in my circles is somebody who dedicates their life to bringing lights in a simplistic way bringing knowledge, insight, light, helping others yeah. to, to like keep people from being in darkness. And I feel like if you were to Google that after this interview and you look up the term light worker, you'll probably say, wow, a lot of these traits and qualities fit with what I've already been doing on my own without even realizing it. It's a spiritual thing, yeah. um, but it's, it's, it's interesting. where you care so much about others. And you, but It's interesting you mentioned that because one thing I, it, I didn't even know that, that term, but equally at the same time, because people say, look, you mentor three to eight people a week, that's 5,000 conversations. Do you ever feel like it's ever, you know, too much or you're worried, you know, you're, you're overburdened? I said, I actually worry about if nobody wants to come and talk to me. But I said, here's the way to look at it is uh, if you saw my life as a giant bucket and all these empty buckets and I'm pouring my contents into their buckets, what's happening to my bucket? It's depleting. But I said, I'm not a bucket. I'm a, I'm a lit candle with a room full of unlit candles. And when we meet and our wicks touch, a huge flame ignites. And as we pull apart, my flame is no less depleted, but now you've lit someone else and you light up a room. And I go through life with that whole idea of I'm not a bucket, I'm a candle. And as a result of it, this is what I, I've been, I like to do is just light up people. And it's not for my credit. It's not for ego. It's not for money. It's just, I find so much reward in seeing people go on and do some amazing things. That, I, I will tell you, if you were to Google it, I feel like you're a classic definition of a caring person who happens to be also a light worker. That's just my spin on it. No, oh, cool. Yeah. I, um, so going to your website to make sure our audience understands your site, it's uh, www.samthiara.com, hyphen between your first and last name, I believe. That's, Is that right? Yeah, that's said, correct. And you said you have a, a wealth of 170 blog posts and on various different themes of what we've discussed today. So I'm going to direct my audience to check you out on there. Sure. And I want to ask you, if you were to reflect on the last five years of your life, mm -hmm. what's the most significant moment in your journey in the last five years that you pause, reflect with appreciation and kind of turn to or pivot to when you're going through some obstacles in the present moment? Yeah. I mean, I go back to the book I wrote because that published in 2019 and the process of writing the book and the whole process of getting it published and then going through the journey of all of that was one piece. But just the fact that I sat down and I just shared this beautiful story. Uh, so on the one hand, it's this beautiful story of persistence, overcoming obstacles, not listening to the noise. And I'm uh, I call the book my my magnum opus. It's the it it no matter how many books I write in the future, it won't matter. This is the the one. This is my masterpiece. It doesn't mean the others will be less quality, but I really my heart and soul was poured into this book. But also 
I've been able to help other authors by going through my own trials and tribulations and successes and challenges. And when it comes to writing, there's two parts. One is the actual hard part of writing the book. The second part, which is equally hard, is getting it out there. I mean, again, I'm not promoting and selling the book because I want to sell copies and make all this money. For me, it's different. I, I just think it's a beautiful story that just needs to be shared. And I think that's what's emerged out of the last five years is this process to where it's brought me to today. I just think it's a, a it's a it's a, a beautiful story of self-reflection and growth and empowerment in ways that very few stories in our modern day uh, read so well. Mm. And in terms of sharing our, our discourse today, just having our conversation basically with our interview, I feel like a lot of people will take this information and they can do a lot with it on a personal level. Sure. Um, you resonate well with what you say, and I identify with what you're resonating. So I encourage my audience to pick up your book and check you out more because I, I just feel like you have a wealth of knowledge to share and, and with the right intentions. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's powerful. Uh, I want to ask you, because we're coming towards the end of our episode. Sure. If you were a spirit animal, which spirit animal would you be and why? And I'll go first. And, and this okay. is just something I like to ask. For example, I, I have two parrots and I always say I'd like to be an owl because of wisdom and having large, broad perspectives in life and being able to look beyond the immediacy of the moment to see the bigger things that are ahead. And so that's where I go. But I was going to ask you, where would you see yourself in terms of a spirit animal and why? Um, I've always said, I think for me, uh, it would be a dolphin. And there's multiple reasons. Number one, I think I'm really drawn to the ocean. The other part is, I think dolphins are very playful, very social. They go in their, their pack or herd, so they support each other as well. But just that uh, playfulness and just that carefree piece and how there's flow, like I see them glide through the water and there's this flow that's there. And that's the flow how I feel inside is when I see what, they are, what they're capable of. And uh, yeah, just for me, that's what it would be. Excellent. What a refreshing interview today. <laughs> I, I want to thank you for coming on and for sharing your, your viewpoints with us. I just want to thank Sam Tiara for coming on the show today, Chief Motivating Officer, Ignite the Dream Coaching and Speaking. Uh, I encourage our audience to check out Sam's website, www.sam-tiara.com with T-H-I-A-R-A. Sam's book, check it out, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. One of the things I like to do at the end of this episode is reflect a little bit. And in terms of having our interview today with Sam, there's a lot of value to be told in stories. There's a lot of value to, to giving shared experiences and having the ability to connect with one another. And I think Sam's journey inwards and his ability to mentor countless others should serve as an example for all of us. Because through your special acts and your deeds and your perspectives, you could actually become extraordinary from what an average person would deem ordinary. And I loved Sam's puzzle piece example with that. And just as he gives puzzle pieces to each individual he works with and mentors, I would say use this episode today as your own personal puzzle piece. Reflect on it. Think to yourself, where am I valuable? What am I worth? You're going to realize you're worth infinity and your value can't be. It's priceless. So keep those things in mind. Check out Sam's website. Check out Sam. Go look at the TED Talks that he's given. And I just welcome each of you to do so because anything you gain and learn from this will be a major paradigm shift and, and very positive. Thank you for checking out our episode. Stay positive because when you stay positive, anything's possible. And we will be having more episodes coming throughout the summer. And if anyone would like to reach out to me, you can always reach out to me at info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. Thank you so much. Thank Until you next for time. listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice 
or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid.